Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today we're going to get into some stuff that we typically haven't touched on, but it's something that I know the audience is asking for. It's something that we hear about a lot. And we're, we've, we're joined today by Dennis Ede, and Dennis is the Executive Director of the Michigan uh, Steelhead and Salmon Fishermen's Association, also known as the Michigan Steelheaders. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, great to have you on board. And, uh, you know, it's something that as anglers in Michigan, when we talk about Michigan fishing, this is something that people ask about all the time. It's these consent decrees. And this is something that you're very passionate about. It's something that you've been working on for a very long time and had an opportunity to bring you on the show and talk about some of this stuff. Can you kind of give us um, maybe that, you know, 10 mile high perspective on, on what this is? Yes, I can certainly give it uh, my best effort here. Um, we have five tribes in Michigan um, who were part of the 1836 treaty uh, that ended the War of 1812 with the British. And as a result of um, that uh, treaty, uh, the tribes gave up uh, land to the state of Michigan, but in so doing, preserved their rights to fish and hunt. And uh, uh, some of the tribal fishers created commercial operations and for uh, decades have fished whitefish throughout uh, the northern tier uh, around the lower peninsula of Michigan from Grand Haven all the way to Rogers City on the east side. And uh, they've done that uh, uh, with a decree that did have a negotiated settlement in 1985 that eliminated uh, or at least reduced the use of gill nets as a means of capturing uh, commercial fish. And uh, instead, the state provided the tribes with trap nets. Now, the difference is that gill nets are indiscriminate in the way they capture and ultimately kill fish. Uh, very difficult to pull gill nets and uh, save fish from uh, that are not being targeted. So uh, they are indiscriminate in what they take. Trap nets on the uh, are uh, yeah. Trap nets on the other hand are planted so that the fish are funneled in to the net. And then when their nets are raised, you can dis uh, discriminate what sport fish go back in the lake and what uh, commercial fish can remain in, in the uh, catch rate in the uh, boats. So it was a uh, consent decree that lasted until 2000, and then we renewed it successfully. Uh, we, as sport fishermen, were not directly involved in the negotiations but we were allowed to participate as an amici, which is a friend of the court. We could have input if the judge 
wanted to ask questions as to uh, how the provisions of the negotiations affected sport fishing. And uh, we could advise the state uh, if we felt that any concessions would have an, uh, a damaging impact on sport fishing. That went on for uh, all the way up until uh, 2020 when we entered into negotiations again. And this time <clears throat> the tribes were much more interested in returning to gill netting because whitefish have been basically decimated in the Great Lakes as a result of invasive mussels. Uh, whitefish can reproduce, it's just that they can't survive the early stages of recruitment and development. And it's because they don't have enough to eat. So we've seen a dramatic uh, decrease in whitefish. As a result, tribal commercial fishermen are having a difficulty uh, making the kind of income that they were used to when uh, whitefish were prolific and available uh, in their catch rates. So they have uh, asked and uh, demanded a larger share of lake trout uh, because lake trout are uh, considered the, the second most prolific species in the lakes. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they've also requested or demanded that gill netting be allowed again in as much as it's a much more efficient and uh, less costly means of gear uh, to perform commercial fishing in their tribal zones. They've also uh, uh, demanded to expand the zones so that they have more opportunity. Um, we felt as sport fishermen that that really threatened uh, sport fish in as much as lake trout have been endangered for the last decade. And we're just getting to a point where they're reproducing well and they're sustainable. And this added pressure is going to threaten that. Long story short, um, the federal judge that uh, oversaw the negotiations issued an order on August 24th that accepted the decree as negotiated by the state, the federal government, and the uh, four tribes. The Sioux tribe uh, did not wish to consent uh, to the agreement and therefore is uh, taking it to uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals. But the other four tribes in the state reached an agreement, much to our chagrin, and it was uh, then approved in Senate Bill 441 in the state of Michigan, uh, implemented then uh, statewide. So we have a very challenging decree. We're uh, certainly concerned about the state of lake trout and the state of other sport fish like salmon or uh, steelhead that inadvertently will be caught in the uh, trap nets so we're uh, very concerned with that. That's a major threat uh, to the Great Lakes. So uh, that's where we stand today. Um, we will uh, uh, appeal the judge's order. We're participating with the Coalition to Protect Michigan Resources. 
which are sport angler groups like the Michigan Steelheaders and the Charter Boat Association. So uh, we'll see where it goes from here, but we're very anxious about what has been uh, consummated with the new consent decree with the five tribes. So one of the things that you said there, Dennis, at the end, you said trap nets. I just want to clarify, um, did, are you saying that the use of gill nets was approved in this new decree, or are you saying that it's it's trap nets? No, gill nets were approved. Okay. So we'll have a return to millions of feet of gill nets in river mouths uh, that enter the lakes up and down the coast, like I said, from Grand Haven all the way to Rogers City. Um, trap nets are expensive to maintain, and I'm sure the tribal fishermen will uh, uh, attempt to utilize gill nets much more uh, than they ever have. And so we look to a return of what it was like back in 18 or 1985, when there was quite a bit of conflict between sport fishers and tribal fishers. Basically, what, what has happened, I guess, uh, another look at this is, you know, the pie was 50-50, and that was kind of the way it was broken up. But what has occurred over the last 20 years is the fishery has gone down, and 50% of the pie is a lot less than what it used to be. So what they're looking for is a bigger chunk of the pie, since we're talking about a smaller pie. You said it perfectly. That's exactly the concern. Um, the, even the shared uh, lake trout uh, numbers, the total allowable catch, favor the tribes 60-40, uh, uh, and we'll be lucky if we uh, even approach 40% of the available uh, lake trout, given the fact that uh, gillnets are so much more efficient than uh, uh, rod and reel <laughs> line fishing. For sure. So we had a 1985 decree, we had a 2000 decree, then we had a 20, then that 2000 decree expired in 2020. So we had a, a 15 year term, a 20 year term. And I know you said that, that you guys are planning to appeal this decision, but if it's not an appeal, how long does this latest decree last? 24 years. And so, they will not, according to the decree language, monitor uh, the state of the fishery uh, for six years. So we were hoping that they would monitor annually to see what the impact of these new provisions have on the amount of uh, fish available and uh, the number of lake trout in the system. And uh, instead the decree said, no, that'll be evaluated every six years. So it wouldn't take more than two years if uh, commercial fishers are um, uh, extremely uh, direct in trying to capture as much as they can to deplete the uh, lake trout population to the point where they could be extirpated. So um, we're very concerned about that. So I, I often have DNR biologists on the show we talk about all the different things that they have to balance. It's user groups typically, you know, we have to make lake owners happy and we have to make anglers happy. And in some cases, commercial anglers happy. Um, in some cases, tribal groups happy. 
we're trying to create this balance all the time is, is what, you know, we're always being told. Um, this sounds like to me, uh, maybe we're not looking at balance and it's something that I think what happens is, is we have political groups that get involved and whenever we start to involve politics then everyone wants to win. And, and we're not so much concerned about the other side because we want to win on our side. And I know there's a lot of history involved in this and people all have their own perspective on the way things should be. But uh, what what's kind of the, DN, the Michigan DNR stance from your perspective anyway uh, on this situation? Well, I, I will be fair to the Michigan DNR. Um, they looked upon this negotiations um, with some trepidation. In the 1985 consent decree, uh, they were not pleased with the demand uh, to continue gill netting. And so uh, they took it to the federal court uh, to issue a uh, declaration as to the fact that gill netting was adverse and should not be allowed. Uh, Judge Fox ruled that the tribes have the right to decide whatever gear they want to fish with, and the state cannot, in its uh, capacity as a, a sovereign, uh, dictate the kind of equipment that the tribes use. So he was very clear, you know, you might be able to negotiate some kind of a consent decree that would limit, but in terms of the law, the tribes have the right to use whatever gear they determine uh, is in the best interest of their efforts. So uh, the state knew going into this consent decree that the tribe's demands couldn't be backed up if they ended up wanting to take them to court. So they tried to get as much as they could in the way of concessions, uh, knowing that they did have a limitation. And as a result, the tribes were successful in getting gill netting to be uh, a means that they can now use uh, rather than trap netting. Uh, they also knew that uh, the tribes had a right in their tribal zones, you know, to catch uh, lake trout. And uh, uh, as a result, they tried to come up with a way to reasonably uh, protect the fishery for both sport fishing and uh, the tribes. However, I think they could have put up a, a much stronger argument um, and uh, tried to utilize sport fishermen more effectively by hearing what they had to say and sharing that with the tribes during negotiations. And that did not happen. Uh, the sport fishing community was pretty much uh, gagged ordered and not allowed to express what they felt uh, was a concern for the overall state of the fishery and especially the state of the lake trout fishery. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, Lake Huron is, is certainly a lake that is coming back from uh, a spot 20 years ago that was pretty rough and it's definitely um, not quite where I think everybody would like it to be, but I think a lot of people thought it was coming back and that things were starting 
we're starting to see good signs. Um, starting to see the right things starting to happen there. Um, where does this put a, a, a fishery like Lake Huron? Well, it's definitely going to have an impact because as a result of the consent decree, the tribes will be able to put gill nets in what used to be protected sanctuaries in northern Lake Huron. Uh, these sanctuaries are reefs that the lake trout utilized for reproduction and natural reproduction. And uh, it, they were off limits uh, to tribal fishermen because it was a way to uh, make certain that we didn't overfish uh, lake trout. Now the zone has been expanded for tribal fishers to include these refuges. And uh, that means that we're threatening um, the natural recruitment of lake trout in northern Lake Huron. So that is not a wise uh, decision or result as a, a, to the decree uh, finalization. So, Dennis, I mean, what you're telling me, at least from your perspective anyway, you know, basically what the tribes were looking for is what they got. Were there any concessions, at least on your end, that you feel like the state of the sport fishing angling community received from this deal? Well, we're suspect of uh, what we may have received. I think the state's major concern was to get good reporting and good data. And so they put a um, major emphasis on getting the tribal fishers to commit to reporting their catches more frequently to the state so that they could be monitored and uh, effectively the information could be utilized to manage the fishery, both in Lake Michigan, Lake Huron and Lake Superior. So that was a major thrust of the DNR's desire to get the tribes to commit uh, to providing uh, what they called uh, frequent, and uh, honest reporting of uh, catch so uh, they can then manage the fishery more effectively. That is about uh, the only thing that I can see that we were, uh, that they were successful in getting. And hopefully uh, the tribal commercial fishers will cooperate and provide that um, in a timely manner. All right. You talked about uh, going to appeals in this decision. What are those steps? What are the next steps look like? Well, we're appealing to the Sixth Circuit um, principally because we did appeal not being included and wanted to enter the negotiations uh, as a party in standing. Uh, the circuit court denied that in its ruling in July, but they did say in their um, ruling that the issues that we brought forth had consequence and that the uh, federal judge should take uh, mortality rates of lake trout and um, the uh, uh, other factors that we tried to bring to bear uh, in his final decision. Uh, the judge did not do that. So we think that that gives us some hope that the uh, circuit court might revisit this issue 
and provide us with a uh, ability to either uh, re-enter and let's restart the clock on negotiations of all parties. Uh, and that's our hope. Dennis, what other things did you want to bring up today? I know uh, you had a couple of different topics you wanted to talk about. Is there anything on this that you wanted to touch on that I didn't ask you about? Uh, yes. When it rains, it pours. Uh, as a result of the tribal uh, negotiations and the consent decree, uh, a uh, state a representative from Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, Jason Morgan, uh, dropped a bill on October 12th that would expand commercial fishing uh, of the state licensed commercial fishers to include game fish. So now, instead of the 14 species of commercial fishing that exists today, it is uh, this bill expands it to include uh, smallmouth bass, walleye, perch, um, lake trout, uh, and as a result, many of the uh, fishers on Lake Erie, Lake Huron, and uh, Lake Michigan uh, are now going to find that commercial fishing state licensed uh, would be in competition with sport fishing as well. Now, the bill is in committee, and uh, uh, we will see, there's rumor that another state representative uh, is in the process of offering a bill that would uh, protect game fish from commercial harvest. And if that's the case, then the committee would look at both bills and see what parts of each uh, they feel as lawmakers have merit. And then the final bill would be coming out of that committee, which is the Committee of Agriculture and Natural Resources in the Senate uh, to be uh, voted on uh, in the House. We'll see. Uh, the agenda in the state uh, uh, House and Senate is under the gun. I know the governor would like to uh, have Michigan's primary moved up in time. That would require both uh, houses uh, to be done uh, by mid-December. So that's not giving us a lot of time, but it, it's an issue. It's one that we're going to have to, as anglers, make our voices uh, heard by our state representatives and senators. And we have to reach out to them and try to protect what has become, as you well know, a $7.1 billion Great Lakes sport fishery Michigan's is 2.5 billion of that 7.1. So we we have to uh, ensure that the industry that we love and we participate in is preserved. So that was the second thing I wanted to talk about. And the last thing, and I'll just touch on it, is um, what is occurring in both Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan and that is the impact of climate change on the water temperature in our rivers. And um, what we're trying to do is find means to uh, inhibit the rivers from gaining in temperature. 
And that can be done with uh, obsolete dam removal and providing the opportunity for fish to migrate upstream and reproduce in colder areas of our rivers and streams. So that's the last item, but I'm more than willing to answer questions on those two issues as well. Yeah, a lot of things going on, Dennis. And, and you know, Michigan is, you know, it's basically right in the middle of the Great Lakes. You've got, you you have three Great Lakes that, that touch the state. I think you're the only state that does that. So you have a lot of things going on there um, with the state of Michigan. And where do you kind of see things going, at least from the Michigan Steelheaders perspective, on that topic of, of dam removal? Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to continue to put pressure on, but our voices being heard, uh, we were able to get uh, the state to recognize the issue. And in part, they were able to redirect federal funding this past year uh, to dam removal and remediation of uh, dams that are uh, not meeting the water quality standards at their uh, excess points and are in uh, uh, trouble in terms of meeting uh, inspection standards. So we do have more money this year than we've ever had that has been allocated toward dam removal and dam remediation. That's a very good sign. What we have to do is get rid of the red tape um, it is very difficult to decommission a dam, uh, and uh, it takes way too much time. The DNR in Michigan has over 200 dams that they have authority over, uh, which we think they should be prioritizing right now and begin uh, decommissioning and getting them removed. Uh, Consumers Energy has 13 major projects in the state, large dams, large impoundments. We know that's going to be uh, politically difficult to navigate because behind those dams are large impoundments where people have built homes right on the water of those impoundments and their property values would be definitely impacted if we were to um, remove those dams. So it is a very um, political issue and we'll have to navigate through those. But the worst thing that could happen is we don't do anything and one of these larger uh, consumer impoundments has a dam breach and creates a lot of uh, destruction downriver. So uh, it's a hot topic and one that deserves our full attention and our efforts in Lansing. Yeah, that's the thing with this and with, with um, the, the consent agreements we talked about earlier, there's just, there's a lot of user groups. There's a lot of people that all want their way and a lot of people who could sit here and tell you that their way is the right way. And it's, it's a very difficult, difficult conversation. It's something that like you said, really gets in. And we use politics so many times in our world as really a, a negative thing. But like that's what it is. It's it's a debate. It's something where people have to sit down and try to negotiate, and it, it is very difficult to sort some of these things out just because 
one side's going to lose and one side is going to win and, and whoever loses isn't going to feel good about it. And uh, a lot of difficult, difficult topics, a lot of difficult uh, situations on our horizon. And uh, just appreciate you coming on here today with us and talking about some of these things. And again, they're difficult to talk about, but it's definitely things that people like to hear about and want to hear about and want to learn more. Um, if people want to learn more about your organization and what you're doing, how do they do it? Well, they do it by going to our website initially, and that's mssfa.org, uh, mssfa.org. And on that website, they can uh, view um, our magazine, some of our past issues, which covers topics of interest to all sport fishermen, regardless. It's not just steelhead and salmon. Uh, we have as many uh, bass fishermen and wall walleye fishermen, my goodness. We have the greatest walleye uh, fishery in the world on uh, uh, Lake uh, Huron and uh, Saginaw Bay. So we welcome people to go on the website. You can become a member uh, very easily on the website by clicking a link. Uh, you'll receive a, a magazine every two months, uh, of which we have a lot of uh, advertisers who provide our sport fishing public with um, rods, reels, and equipment that enhance their experience. So I would encourage you to, to seek out the website and uh, utilize the links in order to become involved. All right, Dennis, before we go, anything else you wanted to bring up uh, before we let you go here today? Uh, no, other than uh, I am extremely pleased that I had the opportunity to be invited on and look forward to uh, the opportunity to rejoin your uh, blog when uh, uh, topics of interest are things that we could shed some light on. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again, Dennis. Very interesting stuff and just appreciate you coming on and and. Again, this is a really heady topic. I think we explained it fairly well and got it out there for everybody. And I know everybody has their own side, but I, I hope that we were able to kind of give everybody a fair look at this. Um, he is Dennis Ede. He is the executive director of the Michigan Steelhead and Salmon Fishermen's Association. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks to everybody for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.